world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Broadcasting from behind the Second Amendment Iron Curtain, in the shadows of the New York City skyline, this is Gun For Hire Radio, the voice of one million New Jersey gun owners, with your hosts, Sandy Berardi and Master Firearms Trainer, Anthony Calandra. Live from the land that freedom forgot, the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation. Welcome to it. We got a packed studio today. We do. We have old and new in in here. Sorry, Paul. Uh, so, so we have. He's he's the you're probably the youngest one here. We got a guy in the corner. You be quiet. You're punished. So Paul Tafani is here, and his organization is the Jersey Grays. It's the Third New Jersey Regiment. Uh, 1776, and they are uh, Civil War reen. Revolutionary. So, war. I'm sorry, Revolutionary War reenactors. Well, I'm a little slow. I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, so, say hello, Paul. How you guys doing today? And their and their website is jerseygrays g r e y s dot org. And now we have new. We have a new organization out of uh, New York State. It's two a n y s. And I have Steve Falano in the studio, and Eric the Hammer. I'm just I'm Hebrew a, Hammer. A, a, the Hebrew Eric Hammer. The Hebrew Hammer. Eric the Hebrew Hammer. They're a new organization, so we're going to be talking about uh, our future and our past. So, Revolutionary War reenactor here, Paul. You live in the area? Uh, yeah, actually, I live here in Woodland Park, next to the range. And he came in uh, about two weeks ago, and he said he'd like us to to do something to help out because they're declining membership in uh, Revolutionary War reenactors, and uh, these guys are on Instagram, Facebook, and they have their own, uh, of, like I said, jerseygrace.org, and what we're going to do is in the spring, we're going to have his guys come out from his regiment, guys and girls, right, I was sexist, yep. is there yep. women too? Oh, yes, there is. Okay, and we're, they're going to come out, and we're going to get a few of them dressed up, and we're going to bring a nice sampling of the firearms so we can uh, oh, educate cool. the and, youngsters. And, and just for a history lesson here, people that don't know a lot about the Revolutionary War, it was actually funded by a Jew named Haim Solomon, who spent his entire fortune. Yep. $25 million back in the day, which was, forget about what that could be now. Got trillions. Uh, trillions. Uh, actually funding the Revolutionary War to help us win it. Hell of a guy here, right? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, he, was, uh, he immigrated here, I think, from France, if I'm not mistaken, and he was a banker at the time. Bank. And he funded, yeah, he helped fund $25 million of the Revolutionary War, which is actually, I think there's a few cases of multiple financiers. Yes, there's, yeah, he was the biggest, he was the largest contributor yeah. at the time. But uh, wow. it, was, it was an interesting, th most people don't know that a Jew helped fund uh, the Revolutionary War sure. back in the day. So for all you Jews out there that don't know that history, uh, jump on You're board. You're welcome. It's good, it's good, yeah. it's good nice. to know. So, 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 Paul, tell us a little bit about what, what you guys and girls do, the mission and everything. Um, we do living history. You know, it's, the imagination is an absolutely beautiful thing. But a lot of kids these days, uh, they might hear about a continental soldier, but then they might hear that their blood tracked in the snow as they went and down to Trenton. But we bring it to life. We actually show people what it was like, and we actually do everything we can to recreate it exactly as it was. The material culture, we do extensive research into the material types, and 
you know, not everybody is as hardcore as checking out, you know, what your thread count, but we do everything we can to recreate what happened to a T. I mean, whether it mean marching from Trenton to Princeton, 14 miles in, in a snowstorm, oh, I we've pass. done it. Good. That's nice. Go ahead. Keep <laughs> don't don't ever expect to see the two of us there. Can I get a donkey? <laughs> Unless we could drive. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we're driving behind in a golf cart. In a heated SUV, a golf cart would be fine. Anything that's so, heat, so you air did conditioning. rain, sleet, or snow to fourteen mile yes. track. Um, How long does that take? Oh gosh, that took us maybe about six hours, maybe seven. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, left yeah, at I one guess. in the morning and arrived. Actually, more like five hours because we went into a. Living History Timeline event where we actually showed up the Princeton Battlefield at the exact time the Americans did. So we followed their timeline, trying to get the wow. extreme case of what the misery was like. So when we talk to kids, and uh, we're, one of our main goals is education, of course, uh, we want to give them the material. They can feel it. They can see the food. They can see the firearms. They smell the horses. And, you know, why do we smell so bad? Like, it's great to be able to interpret this to... Uh, all generations uh, of the public and, and really get them much closer and make a connection to what um, they see in their everyday life and how life is turned from the plea of the continental soldier, the enslaved peoples, the freedman, uh, the women's story. We try to bring that to life using passion, energy, and tell their story with interpretation of what happened here in America in the beginning. Well, well, just give us a quick uh, rundown because this is my, close to my heart. What what was what uh what would meals look like for the day? Oh gosh, well it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what Two stage in the war. Bringing up food, right? I mean, it's just the way. So what was breakfast normally? Oh, the army does march on his stomach. I believe yes. Napoleon's quoted as saying. Napoleon that. did say that. Uh, a meal, well, for a continental soldier, say mid-war, um, if you ate at all, uh, you might get maybe half a pound of flour at most and uh, a few ounces of meat if they had any. There's a great story uh, by a soldier named Joseph Plum Martin in the 8th Connecticut Regiment who was in the Hudson Valley and, and operated all the way down in Monmouth area and in New Jersey and Philadelphia campaign. He writes that he hadn't eaten in days, three days. There were stretches over four days at Valley Forge where they had no beef, no fresh food. They might have... Uh, you know, whatever local game they had and whatever they could find or whatever they could steal, un unfortunately, because they're just really the epitome of starvation. That's how bad things got for them for a while. You, uh, so they ate nothing is what he's telling me. Basically, yeah. and, and this is on top well, of look, carrying. You, you, don't, you don't actually reenact that portion of it. I, I wish I, we did because there was way too much food now. <laughs> so would a pine cone and four leaves be considered like dinner? Actually, meals? He, he does talk about soldiers eating their shoes because there was nothing else and it's just to get rid of the hunger in your stomach. Um, and he talks about tasting some of his, I believe, part of his cartridge box too because there was just nothing else and leather's all they had. Wow. And these wow. are the men who fought for America to build what we have now. So when you're sitting on your couch and you get angry about something you see on TV, remember that back then they would take up arms and a pitchfork. All those angry <laughs> white guys. Oh, no. They were privileged. <laughs> you forgot to bring that up. Well, if we're going to go there. very privileged. Oh, you know? very privileged. Well, well, eating shoe leather is usually a privilege. It is a privilege. That's, a, that's definitely Absolutely. a privilege. Sure. Well, if we're going to go there. The Cartridge cases. One out of every ten soldiers at one point in the Continental Army was uh, African or Native American. A lot of people don't know that as well. Yeah. Well, the television we doesn't portray that. Yes. Right. But they're yeah, going through right. the same yeah. thing, and it's an integrated army at the time. Uh, and They're going through the exact same thing we are. Yeah. There's even uh, cases of seven women having dressed as men bluff their way into the Continental Army, one of which that fought in our elite allied infantry for over a year. So absolutely fascinating <laughs> stories about wow. you know, what happened to these people in, in 1775 to 1783. Were there snacks? 
if you were lucky. <laughs> I'm <just> Peanuts. <laughs> so there is now. Yeah, so now, now. When, nice. when is your when, when the last time you did a reenactment? When was that? Uh, in January, we had an absolutely fantastic. January. We had yes. I kid you not. Go ahead. It was so a little the, cold. So our regiment, the Third New Jersey, was stationed at Fort Ticonderoga. If anyone's uh, ever been there, it's an amazing historic site um, that's in upstate New York on Lake mm-hmm. Champlain, yeah. and that site was the site of over three, if not four, battles since 1609 onward. Our regiment was stuck there in the winter. All the other regiments went home, and the 3rd New Jersey and the 4th Pennsylvania, which was owned by Colonel Wayne, which Wayne, New Jersey is named after, were stuck there for the winter duration uh, as the garrison. And these men are starving. They're freezing. When we went the other day, we went and recreated, using the journal of a soldier, uh, Lieutenant Ebenezer Elmer, exactly what they did on those days, whether it be um, drilling our soldiers on the ice of Lake Champlain because it was frozen, um, to the mess. We know what they ate that day. We know what they did fatigue-wise, what kind of work they were doing. And we went and recreated it. The best part, it was actually zero degrees when we went. Uh, We're staying in original barracks buildings, one of which has original Zero degrees was the best part. Oh, yeah. Well, mm. to be able to relive it, I know we joke about it, but to be able to relive it exactly you as they feel did, it. it gives you an, an, an impression of yeah. being able to interpret that to now, say, a 10-year-old and, and his mother and father, to be able to show them, listen, I am only have six toenails because the other ones are gone. Well, why? Well, because they literally got frostbite wherever they went, trudging in the snow without shoes. I, mean, I don't expect everyone to do that, but, you know, it, it uh, to be able to relive that experience, it's really a gift to it's interpret that It's very lightning, I'm sure. Yeah. So... You guys, this is radio. You can't see it, but uh, the other guests in the studio can see it, and you can probably hear it. Can you hear Paul's passion when he's describing oh, this? Actually, that was one of the things that I thought was amazing from his speech. I want to go do this now. Right. Well, that's, the, the, that's the goal. Right? From the right. passion he had. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, so beautiful. And, you know, history repeats itself, and we're damned because we, we forget that, right, all the time. Steve is nodding his head in agreement because I hit a, a nerve here, but... Imagine teaching your kids this history of how how we became right. a nation, okay, and what they went through. It's not just watching a movie right. on TV right. where I, yeah. a little snuff and, you know, <laughs> kill them all and God sort them or whatever it's evolved right. into battle today. Crank. Right. right. Battle crank, they call That's that? That's what we call snuff now. Before we go into battle... Anybody want some battle crank? Can we do our snuff and get into the field? <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> it. The boy's ready to face so, off the so, uh, so tell us where people can find you, find out about this, and get involved in this. This uh, is important. So tell us what your passion, and then tell us about this heater you brought in you last. It. All right, so being one of the younger regiments in the hobby, uh, we were only formed about five years ago. Uh, we wanted to, we saw the hobby's been aging, and there's, you know, there's a lot of great people in it who did this in the spirit of 76 in the bicentennial era, and unfortunately, they're aging out. I mean, it's going to happen to me, too. It just happens. And You'll see. It'll happen. So. Yeah, oh yeah. So as time goes on, um, we were looking for new, younger members, and we started this new regiment that had a little more pep in their step and wanted to, to get more involved in setting up the camp life and actually, like, staying on the ground, because that's actually what they did instead of your air mattress and the tent, which, to each their own, there's nothing wrong with that, but for what we do, we want to get the full experience. So we started this regiment, mostly kids in their 20s, 30s, uh, 40s. We do have some elderly members that still um, don't mind stepping out with the boys and coming out for, for a day in, day in the field. So we wanted to and bring that alive. We wanted to start a women's program, which we've been slowly been working on, to tell their story because it's more than just uh, women following the army and you know whatever the men did. Like these women were an integral part of the military at the time. Although Washington wasn't a fan of having too many of them around because you know they're a tail to the army wherever it goes. They were getting contracted by the soldiers to do their laundry. Uh, these women all were they could be refugees. They could have lost everything. They could have lost their husband. Have nowhere else to go. There's an amazing story, and they have their children with them too. So we want to bring that together. So we created 
the 3rd New Jersey Regiment, Captain Bloomfield's Company, that's based right here in Woodland Park. Uh, we also have a second depot down in the Trenton area for our central and southern Jersey guys. I don't know what pork roll is, but Taylor Ham for life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we're building this group, and the real plea today is to come out and try it. We have the 250th anniversary of the nation is coming up. The Boston Massacre's 250th, I believe, is this year in March. So the 250th, a quarter of a millennia of America's existence, this is absolutely amazing and mind-blowing that we've, you know, with our hiccups here and there, but America's created such a beautiful system and a beautiful country and a beautiful world with beautiful citizens. Let's celebrate our history, a quarter of a millennia. So I know the state's been and the country has been gearing up for this slowly, allocating money and funds, getting ready for big events, <coughs> but I feel as if, personally, there is a lack of reenactors that showed up for the spirit of 76. I'm sure. You know, you, you look at the 225th anniversary of the Battle of Yorktown, you had 2,000, 3,000, even 4,000 possible reenactors there. Most of our major events now are down to 600, and those oh, are the wow. most dedicated 600 people, but we're looking for people... Um, you know, really of all ages, but we're looking for people who really want to do it right, to come, give it a shot, try it out, sling a musket, learn the maneuvers, march like a soldier, learn more than just that. Have the camaraderie, have steak on a bayonet, sit around a fire, sing the songs of wait, the 18th Wait, wait, steak? Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> if you were lucky enough to be able to butcher a cow. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> do we have to butcher our own cows? Do you want to? Will there be cows? Uh, well, <laughs> if there'll be cows, I mean, maybe. Cows? Well, I mean, now that you mention it, we do a lot more <laughs> than just uh, the soldiering. We do a lot of the fatigue work. We work with ox teams, horse teams, uh, working on, we built sleds and actually dragged those sleds behind the ox teams. We're cutting and felling trees, putting them on those sleds, and showing the whole picture wow. of what army life and civilian life was like in the 18th century. Like it's a strongman contest. Jesus. Right? Well, you yeah. win? Come on. <laughs> right. So, so the these the guys, <laughs> you, again, you hear the passion, and I think all of our, everybody needs to learn our history. Their, their, uh, in, their internet page is jerseygrays.org. They have a Facebook page, Jersey Grays. They have an Instagram, Jersey Grays. Go on and like all three and request more information and check it out. So what, what is this gun that you have? All right, so the 3rd New Jersey Regiment historically pulled its muskets out of the colony store. So what we have here is a 1728 St. Etienne musket, and there were hundreds of these were captured in the previous war, uh, the French and Indian War, or the Seven Years' War as is known in Europe. Uh, large numbers of these were captured by Americans and brought here, and this is a 69 caliber French musket. Oof. Yeah, and the British were using a 75 caliber musket. That's not a slug I'd want to be hit with. Oh, I mean, that's always trying line. to top us. <laughs> well, we used their weapons as well as ours, really whatever the, the colonies had. When our guys left and marched north to the Mohawk Valley in 1776, a lot of them had their civilian brought firearms that they brought from home. Uh, which could be a Fowler, which is really, it's a bird gun. And it's what they had, that's what they brought. And we also bought, have records of them buying whatever firearms were available from the local militia um, all over New Jersey, just whatever they had. So we had a huge uh, variety of firearms during the revolution that we went with. And as time went on and things finally got better as far as supply went, the French started sending over large amounts of 1766. With that Jewish money. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that 1766 uh, Charleville muskets uh, started arriving in large quantities. By the time you reach the Battle of Monmouth, our men are starting to get a much bigger pride. They've been better trained. They've been working with their bayonets. They're now, eating. They're, well, it's arguable. It Damn. points. It points. Uh, the summertime, of course, will be a little better than anything else. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're getting better firearms, better training, and, we, you know, we do the same. If we are fighting at the Battle of Monmouth, you know, we tell our guys, get out your late war muskets, because we're all a bunch of nuts, and we have a bunch of different kinds. I, lo I love the passion, though. I think it's great. Everybody's focusing on ARs and Glock 44s <laughs> and the new SIG that just came out, but we have to remember where we came from, the right. history of the firearm. 
you know, and the history of the man or woman behind the firearm to get us where we are and the pain and struggle they had to endure. L listen, I'm telling you right now, Paul is going to get a group together in the spring. These guys from New York State will be down here. We're going to yeah. pitch it, and they're going to come out in the back. We're going to set up some tents. Maybe we'll... Do you want we'll me to bring have, the we'll, cannon, Anthony? We, he's going to bring the cannon. <laughs> how many? How big is the cannon? Right, so it's a very small cannon. Uh, I'll take the, it. The smallest production one they would have had is a one-and-a-half pounder. It's still maybe 600 pounds with its carriage. Um, so Wait, we need that Eagle in Jersey? Surprise? I don't want to think so. Are they listening? <laughs> Surprisingly, right now, as far as I know, yes. <laughs> what a hood ornament it would make on my SUV. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I need to borrow it. So we're going to have some of these guys and girls come down, and they're going to do a little reenactment. Like, I don't know. I, I'm talking out of turn. It's really Paul that's going to plan it. But we're going to bring a selection of the firearms, too, so we can talk maybe some samplings of what they ate or didn't eat. This is what we ate, and all the plates are empty. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be far off at all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you guys, I, I slipped in the beginning and said Civil War. For all of you that love history, there's a great book on Amazon called Hardtack and Coffee. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. That's what the uh, the troops were given during the Civil War. They were given hardtack, which was an unleavened biscuit, and coffee. Mm -hmm. And they talk about all the different recipes they came up with with <clears throat> hardtack and how a lot of times it was uh, rat infested and it was green molded. And Beatles. they still ate it. Oh, yeah. Beetles. Yes, they, they still ate it. So, uh, but oh, it's when you're very starving, interesting. You're choice. Yeah. So, again, jerseygrays.org. Everybody needs to go on. How much is that gun weigh? Oh. Uh, we're looking at about 12 pounds of iron and wood here. Uh, of course, they varied. First model brown besses were about the same weight, and as they got better and they Six got into a more long. light infantry-style fighting, uh, you can see later on they got slightly shorter muskets and lighter muskets. And it's, it's really beautiful. We have piece. a gun wrangler here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just held it out, and he took it and put it in the he's corner. He's doing his job. We got it's a good. guy. We, we punished him in the corner from New York State. And if anybody's in. interested in what we're doing Tell me. in the year, um, check out our website. You'll find a full schedule on there. We also have a new website coming, uh, hopefully in the next few months. That's much more modern and much more up-to-date. We're very active on social media, constantly updating not only with clips, with videos of what we're doing and what life is like <coughs> in probably <coughs> the most miserable conditions you could possibly imagine, uh, which we take pride in. And we do invite you to try it out. And not every event we do is going to be slogging through the snow. We do a lot of living history events, working with schools and working with uh, national parks, state parks, local historic sites, and private sites to do whatever we can to tell that story. And of course, our focus is going to be on the New Jersey soldier, what happened to the New Jersey refugee and the New Jersey woman, the enslaved of New Jersey. What is their story? That's our focus. We invite you to come out. Please come out. Give it a try. Throw on the clothes. We have loaner clothes um, to <coughs> give you a chance. You have uh, big and tall? Yeah. Fat and tall guy stuff? Yes, we do. <laughs> okay. Well, you just didn't You're eat. Lucky, How was anybody <laughs> overweight? Well, 21st century is a little different. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, because most, most of the uniforms probably look like, you know, they were for Barbie and Ken. Yeah. That's how I'm picturing it. Listen, is the, when Paul stopped in two weeks ago, first thing I did was I went on the Facebook page and liked it and the Instagram page, and I've been getting it on the feed now. It's really interesting. I've been scrolling through a lot, and there's a lot of education there. I'm really looking forward to taking this to the next step. And also, uh, the Hammer and Steve over here, they volunteered. One is going to be my manservant, one is going to be my groom <laughs> when I get involved. I'm going to be the groom. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear the volunteering, but... I didn't hear it either, but I'm well, why not? Servants and grooms? Oh, there was. Every Our officer would, consent. if he wanted to, pay for his own manservant. <laughs> I have to pay for it? Well, nobody really got paid after the first two years, so he'd probably get away Other with than it. the manservant. But there were manservants and grooms, see? <laughs> your Batman would uh, prepare your horse in the morning and... Uh, wow. Yeah. Servant wow. would cook your meal. Was You're there a wingman, too, then, or no? 
Was well, that just officers, or was it? Yeah, that would be mostly just officers. Average Joe citizen, he he was lucky. They, they really didn't get paid after the first year or two. Uh, so whatever they had, even if it's depreciated continental currency, uh, you bartered for whatever you could. You stole, unfortunately, whatever you could because they didn't have a choice. It sure beats starving. But yeah, the officers were not starving as much as the men were. But even they faced hardship that their men did. How often did people bathe? It's hard to get it. All right, so hygiene is a fantastic topic. I'm so glad I brought hygiene up. Well, (laughs) Well, I I smelt you earlier. I know. I I shower tonight, Saturday night. (laughs) Soap was a real thing. Uh, still is, clearly. Um, And it did exist back then. Cleanliness was a major part of the Army. And Washington, General Washington, even made it uh, mandatory that you must shave no more than every three days, which our regiment adheres to. So for those of you with beards... You'd have to shave, but trust me, it grows back. I know. I'll shave him. That's that's, that's a debate for my girl. my girlfriend. Might not like. Uh oh. Well, she likes the beard. So cleanliness was, of course, an important part of the army because there, you know, th- there's no modern bathroom facilities. These guys are out in the woods, they're out in the fields, and they're in a camp or on a siege, and they have to keep as clean as possible and as organized as possible. So cleanliness was prescribed. Um, there was even whole treatises and manuals on how to stay clean, when to keep shaven, how often you should be bathing. Because they, they did in the 18th century try and maintain this level. Of course, just like our modern army, uh, you're out in the field and the fob for weeks, months, however long on end. You might not get that opportunity as much. So, of course, there were exceptions to this. But if they're in a garrison setting where it was available, <coughs> yeah, they, they were they were clean. They took care of themselves. So it's it's funny. So we're talking about our history here and the next two segments we're going to be talking to these guys who our biggest problems is we got a stovepipe jam on our 45 <laughs> you know these guys were looking for a chicken to split amongst 30 soldiers you know and, and hopefully were, uh, yeah. running into a murky pond so they could bathe and drink out of the same water i mean right. what did they did they even carry water back then oh, yes they did have they were actually really neat they're wooden canteens and so they're prone to leaking unfortunately but they're would have been made canteens. it would have been handmade everything was handmade just as our regiment recreates we Make all, I, all can't, I can't wait to go and see this. I, I really can't I'm wait so to go really see this. I almost walked in with it today. I didn't know. If no, it's cool. okay. You could have. <laughs> JerseyGrays.org. Jersey Grays on Facebook. Jersey Grays on Instagram. Reach out to Paul. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. 
Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. The world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. And what better way to say I love you than giving the ones you love a gift to keep them safe? Lipstick Bodyguard. It looks just like a beautiful little lipstick. But just like a beautiful woman, it has the power to bring a grown man to his knees. Lipstick Bodyguard. Fear no evil. Get yours today only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Just follow the link on the GunForHireRadio.com homepage. Covered a lot. Yo, yeah. we're back. Yeah, we let me tell you, Paul, you, you you were phenomenal. We talk about first world people problems. My phone is at twenty two percent and I got a stovepipe jam <laughs> or my magazine's still locking up or whatever. Holy shit. I can't wait to get involved. I can't wait to pitch it here. We're gonna mass e mass email it out. We're gonna put it on all our social media. We're gonna pick a date in the spring, probably in May. I'm going to Europe in May. When I get back, you guys are, are going to be here. So now we have this organization. This is our future. And, Paul, you're here the whole show, so butt in because you're going to hear a different perspective. Certainly. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so there, this organization is number 2, A-N-Y-S dot com. New organization. And I talk all the time about unity and activism is key. We have four or five major organizations in New Jersey and obviously the NRA, and I talk to all of them, I support them all, I promote them all. So these guys reached out to me a few months ago, and I started watching them and following their stuff, and they're really making waves, okay? You know, we joked before about the hammer and anvil. Like, you have to think of the NRA as the, as the anvil. Slow moving, it's big, it takes a lot of hits. But little organizations like you guys, grassroots, boot, boots on the ground, can force a lot of change. Mm -hmm. Because all politics is local. You, I can't wait till you tell me about the judges over there, Eric. But So without further ado, you two guys fight it out. Who's going to start <laughs> by talking? But you can check out their website, number 2, ANYS.com, while we're talking. Hit it, guys. Yeah, thanks, Anthony, for having us on. You're uh, welcome. Steve Filano, founder of 2ANYS. And uh, we are, we're New York State's premier civilian rearmament enterprise. We, we focus on direct citizen action initiatives that the, the average person in New York can utilize to take back their Second Amendment civil rights. We, we are, uh, as you mentioned, Anthony, we're, we're different from the larger, more legacy organizations. Our, and our, our business model for activism, frankly, is different, too. Um, we don't really focus very heavily on working by, with, and through legislators, uh, especially in New York State and I, I think other, you know, similar socialist, communist-minded states um, that have similar types of gun control edicts in place. Um, we found that engaging the legislature has not produced much in the way of positive results for us over the past 10-plus years. I mean, Because they don't work for us. Well, right. That, that gave us the SAFE Act. Um, it's given us expansions of the unconstitutional pistol permitting regime. It's given us red flag laws and, and the other litany of imperial edicts that come out of Albany. So our focus has been on uh, non-compliance, non-enforcement, and repeal initiatives. And th that has accomplished quite a bit in the roughly year and three months that we've been around. We started off as a Western New York-based organization. 
Um, and since that time, obviously, we've, we've grown to encompass the entire state. We're in 50 out of the 62 New York counties right now and have hooked up with these guys in Rockland County very recently. Um, but one of the things I noticed when we started offering memberships in September of 2019 was that uh, roughly half of our membership was coming from downstate counties. So there was something resonating wow. with folks in places wow. like Rockland and Orange, uh, in the Bronx even, um, you know, all over the place downstate about what we were talking about and what we were doing. Because obviously the regime that they're suffering under is even more onerous than what I'm experiencing in Erie County. And they too see that, you know, turning to the legislature, uh, the legislature for relief is, is not going to work. So we, we were originally branded as 2AWNY, uh, and we got our start by... Uh, pointing out that in Erie County, our district attorney had been prosecuting people under the seven-round limit articulated under the SAFE Act, which, as, as some folks listening may know, was ruled unconstitutional by not only the Western District, which covers 17 counties in New York, but then also the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which, of course, covers the entire state and others. And, um, you know, the issue uh, with that victory is no organization had been following up to compel various government agents to comply with these court orders. So we started doing that, and it all came about one morning when I saw a piece in the Buffalo News that said that um, Buffalo PD had pulled over a group of three guys at 3 a.m. in downtown Buffalo, found out they had uh, a Glock on them with a 10-round mag loaded to 10 rounds, and charged them with a seven-round limit violation. And I contacted uh, the reporter who did the piece um, and, and said, hey, you know, there's more to this story, just so you know. Uh, that seven-round limit was ruled unconstitutional by two courts. Uh, these officers can actually be sued civilly for, for enforcing this, as can the DA. And you may want to follow up with the district attorney on this and start asking those questions. And that turned into the district attorney holding a press conference, publicly stating he won't enforce the limit anymore, and saying he's got 23 active cases with this on the books that he'll dismiss, and will dismiss any others that come into his office. And we were able to leverage that and reach out to the other 16 DAs operating in western New York and get all of them on the record as stating the same thing and produce an on-the-record seven-round non-enforcement zone under the SAFE Act. Um, and this, this grew, uh, you know, with interest very rapidly, and we ended up producing some other wins. I work with an attorney out of uh, Buffalo named James Ostrowski, and in April we were able to reverse the state's first-ever SAFE Act conviction. So reverse that conviction totally. Damn, excellent. Yep, dude. and then dismiss it with prejudice, meaning the state cannot go back and retry this individual for the same imaginary crime in a county court uh, ever again. So that's called dismissing with prejudice. Uh, and that was all due to the fact um, that in addition to the Second Amendment arguments, which unfortunately we were, we were not able to force the court to address the state Supreme Court, they dismissed the case totally on the basis uh, that Eric Schneiderman, you know, the, the serial woman abuser, as we found out uh, later in his career when he yep. had to step down, um, while all that was going on, he was uh, illegally prosecuting people like Ben Wassel, who was the, the, uh, the defendant in this case. And the reason for that is when, when a, a case like this comes up, a criminal case in a, in a district uh, or in a county, the district attorney is the person who's supposed to prosecute that case. If the state AG comes in and prosecutes, there's supposed to be some major reason of necessity for that, and it requires a letter from the state police superintendent stating what that reason is. That, lever, that letter never materialized. Therefore, Eric Schneiderman criminally prosecuted, illegally prosecuted this individual. So we're, we were able to reverse the conviction based on that argument alone. However, the Second Amendment arguments we make about the myriad ways in which the SAFE Act is unconstitutional do live on. The court never addressed them, but we do have 
at least 20 other SAFE Act cases all around the state where I forwarded this argument to the attorneys uh, who, are, who are progressing those cases. The reason being, a lot of the attorneys who get these SAFE Act cases are criminal defense lawyers. Their first instinct is to try to get the case dismissed, not fight the statute itself. So the way I, I position this for them is use, file the Second Amendment motion now. File the Second Amendment argument now. So if this does go to trial, this is your insurance policy. Because no court in New York State, looking at how the federal circuits are shaking out majority conservative and how the U.S. Supreme Court is now majority conservative and the fact that they're taking New York gun cases, no court in New York State wants to deal with a, a case that that attacks the statute directly. So it's your, it's basically it's your insurance policy, your ace in the hole, if you can't get this thing dismissed and your client has to go to trial. So the, the SAFE Act win was big. In August, we reversed or we, we, we won a case dealing with um, red flag style gun confiscation. Uh, it actually dealt with gun confiscation <coughs> happening under the pistol permitting system, which um, you've been able to red flag anybody in New York State for the past roughly 50 years. It, the, the, it's just the public generally didn't know that. Uh, the reason that we have a new red flag law that went into effect in August is because the authoritarian leftists in Albany wanted a reason to have a public relations campaign to demonstrate to people all across the state mm. that you can red flag people and yeah. here's how you do it. So under the pistol permitting regime, all it's ever taken to red flag someone is to write uh, a memorandum, you know, a, a, a letter that is notarized that explains the reasons for uh, the necessity of taking this person's firearms away. You present that to a county judge, and if he agrees, then you're off to the races, and the sheriffs are going to come to that person's door, the deputies, and they're going to confiscate. And in the case that we litigated, that's exactly what happened. It was actually a local town justice who got her guns taken away, and it was the result of, uh, it was a case of First Amendment free speech retaliation. She had said some things about a county judge publicly that he didn't appreciate, but were nonetheless protected as free speech, and he retaliated by sending uh, the Allegheny County Sheriff deputy to her door without a court order that he never presented to take her firearms away, which which he did. Um, and we we leveraged uh, you know media relations on this thing too to basically get a, a range of national Second Amendment media outlets to to contact the court and find out what's going on. In addition to the fact that we we had sued the court as well and uh, convinced him to not only apologize twice verbally and once in writing, Good. but also dismiss the entire case without even having a hearing. So that, that worked out well for us and uh, also demonstrated to the public, because we were able to release these documents, how this black box pistol permitting system can be leveraged in this way and how it often is leveraged uh, to take someone's Second Amendment rights hostage and, and use that in a way that can chill free speech. So um, we've been able to accomplish a lot. You know, those are just some things that we did in the first year. Well, it's pretty impressive in a year and three months, would right. you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Holy shit. And God so, bless. So the next step is uh, we launched on Monday a statewide lawsuit against the pistol permitting regime, suing uh, county judges, you know, county by county, beginning in Rockland. Uh, and the basis on this is the fact that the pistol permitting regime in New York State is not uniformly applied all across the state, and we don't do that with any any other civil right. Like right, like there's there's one standard for how we we litigate First Amendment issues, right? It's it's basically a strict scrutiny standard. There there are the same standards for everybody. In New York State, uh, your Second Amendment rights are held hostage by the subjective judgments of one county licensing official, that that judge. Uh, Similar to New Jersey, exactly. Exactly. Like New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. and additionally. Um, the entire system it, it acts in, in total contravention of the DCV Heller decision, which I'm sure everybody listening knows. That's obviously the seminal case that stated that you have an individual right to keep and bear arms disconnected from service in a militia. 
and that the the only uh, reasons to deny someone the right to keep and bear arms would be if you have a felony conviction and or have been civilly committed under mental health law. These other imaginary restrictions, like the Mother May I letter, where you have to go to a county judge and beg to exercise a civil right, uh, the, the requirement that you sign a HIPAA uh, disclosure form, like you have to do in, in Westchester yeah. now, as I understand it, and to, Rockland. in Rockland, to allow the permitting officials to access your medical records to find out if you're taking any medications that they don't like or think would be a detriment to you to be able to exercise a constitutional right, these things do not comply with Heller. And counties that are not complying with Heller are acting in contravention and violation of federal law. And we intend to sue Rockland County and all the others across the state that have a system like this in place to compel them to comply. And we understand we probably won't get relief in the state court system, but we are prepared to litigate this in the federal circuits and also petition for certiorari to the U.S. Supreme Court. So Hell yeah. Those are, those are some <laughs> of the, the initiatives that we have upcoming. But, um, you know, we, we ended up ex expanding statewide and rebranding as 2ANYS uh, a couple weeks ago, really, probably about three weeks ago. And that was, you know, all done in concert with the team in Rockland County that's been, been very active um, and very helpful in pushing a range of our initiatives forward. So uh, we've got a new chapter in Rockland, and, you know, Eric is, is uh, heading it up. So I want to turn it over to him to talk about his roles. So the Hebrew Hammer, you're in Rockland County. You yes. have the only brick-and-mortar FFL in Rockland no, County? No, no, no. I don't no. have the only brick-and-mortar oh. FFL. I, I believe I'm the only standing brick-and-mortar gunsmith. Ah, uh, so when we come Rockland. back from break, you're going to tell us everything. I'm going to okay. do my best. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful. For many people walking into a range the first time, it's quite intimidating. So when you walk in through the double doors, the first thing you'll see on your left is a concierge. When people walk in, they can take a tour of the range, or maybe they're coming in for an appointment with one of my instructors or me, and they'll be directed to the right classroom. It kind of softens the entire experience and makes people feel more at home. As you walk further into the range, you're going to notice we have New Jersey's only indoor 50-yard range, which is heated and air-conditioned. The dividers at each port are bulletproof. They're extra-wide ports so two people can stand side-by-side side and shoot. There's lights in the ports so you're well-lit. We also have three times as much light down range that the average range would have because I believe it's important that the targets are well-lit. Our target retrieval system is all digital. You program how many feet you want to send it out, and it stays there. Both of our ranges are tactically baffled, which means when we run our higher level courses, you can move forward to the firing line and shoot in any direction, and bullets can't escape. When you come out of the 50-yard range, to your left, you'll see our large classroom, and go back up to the concierge and make a right. We have two smaller classrooms. And those classrooms are for small one-on-one -on -one classes, our Build-A-Bear, building an AR. As you enter through there, you'll see that we have a uh, portal with a key to go into our Platinum Lounge. They can sit around and watch TV on the leather uh, chairs or couches, and they can maybe work deals with their uh, clients. And you normally don't see a cafe in an indoor range. In New Jersey, we have this archaic law where you're only supposed to go from your house to the range, range to the house with no unnecessary deviations. I'm seeing a lot more families coming in now where they have multiple kids and the wife will stay in the cafe with one or two kids and they'll do a handoff. 
To me, it's very important that people are treated like family, so the bathrooms are very high-end. We use marble and corian and really nice tile and full-length dividers so that people are comfortable when they come in. When you exit the bathroom, you'll see the Gun For Hire radio studio where Sandy and I tape our show. After you pass that and you make a left, you'll notice our retail area. Over 120 firearms for rent. As you turn 180 degrees, you see the large sections of bulletproof glass. That's our 25-yard range. And inside our 25-yard range, we have 13 ports. Those ports are even wider than the 50-yard range. Both ranges have full-time range safety officers. In case you have any questions or concerns, they're there to help you. With the news, events, and political shenanigans impacting your freedom, you're listening to Gun For Hire Radio, the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation. Okay, some housekeeping before we go to uh, our friend Eric here and Steve. couple of things. Remember uh, the guy, Al Conti, uh, that needs some money? This guy was red flagged because uh, he gave the doctor, a surgeon, a one-star review. Just, just Google Al, A-L, Conti, C-O-N-T-I. Red flag or Al Conti red flag, and you the GoFundMe page will come up automatically, or Al Conti GoFundMe. Uh, our the two A sanctuary movement is growing in leaps and bounds in New Jersey. They got like three counties now and about twenty five towns, maybe more. You can check out NJ number two A sanctuary dot com. They can use your support. Remember our buddy in New York City, Marty's V Burger in New York City. He's Jewish. He's vegan. He's pi- a pilot. He's a conservative and a gun owner, and he owns a vegan restaurant a in the city. He's a liberal, <laughs> and he's a liberal. He's a member of the range, Gun for Hire alumni forever. We always talk about support those who support you. Marty's V Burger dot com. Uh, Paul is still here. JerseyGrays.org. Uh, I'm blown away by the interest. And now, without further ado, 2ANYS, we have uh, Eric, the Hebrew Hammer, is here, and he's going to talk to us, too, about what him and Steve and the rest of the guys. How many volunteers do you have in this organization right now? Uh, well, we have uh, <coughs> a little over 200 members right now. Okay. And, and uh, you know, the volunteer duties vary. I mean, definitely the guys in Rockland are far more active than most other chapters, and, and basically the work that lies ahead for us is to, is to build up uh, the membership to at least you know ten active members in every county, and our, our model, you know, it, it's it's different from some of the legacy gun organizations that tend to be much more top down. That's kind of why we launched our, our uh-huh. effort. We we view the struggle against uh, progressive gun control in New York State as, in essence, asymmetric warfare. It's an unconventional war. The the tactics that have been used to date by some of the more legacy organizations, they're World War II first and second generation warfare tactics, which leverage the electoral system. Um, and working with legislators to achieve goals. And the problem is that the progressives right now control all the levers of state government, yep. and you're playing by their rules, and they move the goalposts every time when you yep. do it right. that way. Mm. So we need, to, we need to take you know, the lessons of history here and apply them and recognize that this is not World War II. This is Afghanistan. This is Iraq. We have to innovate. Mm-hmm. This is fourth and fifth generation warfare. Uh, we are fighting against a better resourced enemy but a conventional enemy We fund them. 
That's correct. And we for, yes. Yeah. Now, right. for everybody out there listening from the other battleground states like New Jersey, there's a lot you can learn from their playbook here. Absolutely. Okay, which is great having them on. So now, Eric, sticking to the scope of civil rights and gun ownership, let me hear what you're pissed off about. <laughs> I see I narrowed that down for him. Because uh, before well, in the green room, it well, was little, pretty broad. We want to we <laughs> get it down. A little, a little bit of my history. I'm a, I'm a gunsmith uh, and a gun shop owner in Rockland County, New York. Uh, Where, you could say the store. Uh, uh, Precision Gunsmiths. I'm Where sorry. is it? Precision Guns Valley Cottage, New York. Valley Cottage. Yeah, Precision about a mile, Gunsmith. about a mile down from the Palisades Mall, the second largest mall, I believe, in this hemisphere. I'm going to drive by and shoot my <clears throat> Uzi at his front. I would not appreciate that. It is I outstanding. Mean, however, the bathrooms, unlike Gun for Hire, do not have wha- marble yes, and quarry. Wha- yes, the, the bathrooms are much change. nicer than you my bathroom. You got to start somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, several several months ago, a friend of mine called me up, and we were looking at how do we get more active in the community about uh, gu- you know l- teaching people about gun rights, uh, gun education, and so on and so forth. And in our research, we were lucky enough to come across Steve here, uh, who, as we saw, did has been doing leaps and bounds mm-hmm. in the last year uh, or so. Um, and we contacted him and. We just, you know, dismayed to him some of our concerns about what's going on down here and in the, in the, in the, the regime that they have down here, how they limit your licenses. And one of the things that really got me upset is a couple months ago, I had actually, the, the county clerk's office had asked me to come down and clarify uh, some of the gun laws because they didn't know them. They didn't understand them. We do or that some, too. Some, some configurations of guns. So I went down there and I'm talking to them and, you know, and I like to educate them as much as possible. They, did, they didn't know. These are the people that are actually issuing these licenses <laughs> and they have no clue what they're doing. And it was, it, was, it was infuriating, but at the same time, I felt at the time a little relief that they were actually listening. And they, they admitted a bunch of things like they, have, they really have no real right to put restrictions on licenses, yet they do it anyway, arbitrarily. Uh, because unfortunately, in the, co- in the law... The judges are allowed to just arbitrarily, without any due process, take away your license. They can literally not like the way you look that day or something you've said and take away your license. They don't have to have a rhyme or reason for it, which is very frustrating. Because um, you can't upset the status quo at that point. Because then it's gonna, they're going to punish you like uh, they had the mm-hmm. case with this woman, where they're just going to take away your rights yep. without, any, without any due process. And one of the discussions that I had while I was talking to them, and I, I asked them all in the office, I said, let me ask you a question. How many of the judges carry guns in this building? And they, they all looked at me like they didn't want to answer me, but I knew. I said, they, they all do, and we know this. And they said, yeah, they, they pretty much all carry guns. Now, it's not legal for them to carry guns in this building. It's a federal building. The only ones that can do that are the officers that are there. So I said to them, I said, so in the office we're in right now, is completely separated from the courtroom, and there's no cops here. I said, so if somebody comes in here and they decide to start shooting up the place, let's hope that doesn't happen while I'm here, um, there's nothing you can do to defend yourselves. But the judges, the judges, (laughs) who aren't legally allowed to be carrying a gun into the courtroom, can defend themselves. So what the judge is telling you is they have more rights than you, and their lives are more valuable than yours. And a couple, a couple of them it looked like maybe a small light bulb went off. I, I think it was a dim light, but some lights went off anyways. Uh, and unfortunately, even after the whole thing I did with them, they didn't really change much. It was about helping them understand how, how AR pistols work, because they were actually, what they were doing is they were telling people that they couldn't have AR pistols on their license, even with a fixed magazine, which is, would be New York compliant, based on caliber. So they were allowing 9mm, 45 10 millimeter to go through because they didn't know any different. 
And I knew it was a double-edged sword when I went there because I was going to educate them on this and try to explain to them that what you're doing is wrong. You know, you're, you're, you're hindering some people and you're allowing other people to go through. And it's the same exact thing. Uh, and unfortunately, it somewhat backfired on me because then they started realizing certain names and certain, you know, certain uh, uh, types of guns that were coming through were actually AR pistols, and they started denying people. But in Westchester, they don't do that. In Westchester, they allow you to do that as long as a gunsmith signs off and says that it's New York compliant with a fixed magazine. So, mm. so, so they put the onus and, and the potential <coughs> consequences on you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's exactly what they did, uh, which, yeah. is, which is obviously unfair. It's, it's this, this regime where they can do whatever they want, arbitrarily get away with whatever they want, and, and it got tiresome. And one of the reasons that we saw Steve's platform and were so uh, like enthralled with it and excited about it is because he was doing something which none of the bigger guys were doing. He was going at a very at the, the lowest level. He's starting at the bottom. We're starting at the local, local, local level, which nobody else is really doing. And in Rockland County, we don't have any Second Amendment advocacy groups. Nothing. It didn't exist in Rockland. Now you do. So now we do. And, and I'm very excited about it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, every customer that comes in, I'm like, you're going to join. I don't care if you like it or not. You're going to join. Because this is all about our rights mm -hmm. and our ability to exercise our rights and our, and, and our ability to defend ourselves. And I tell them that story about the judges you know, unlawfully carrying a gun into a courtroom that they're not supposed to be doing, and they do it because they can. Yeah. And there's nobody right. there to stop them. Nobody right. challenges them on any of these things. And it's wrong, because that judge's life is not more valuable or more important than mine. And we wanted to figure out a way to stop this. And Steve, who thankfully, we have guys like Steve that are on our side, because uh, I'd hate to see him on the opposition. Uh, but it's amazing. It, and I think we're going to really, really going to shake up some trees, uh, which I'm excited about. So while you two guys were talking, I can see Paul appreciating your enthusiasm, you know, talking about our, our, our history and our future. So I feel like mine wasn't as much as his. I feel like his was a lot more. Oh, than it mine. certainly was. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, so you're Jewish. How do you feel when you get when you when you're trying to convert the anti-gun Jewish people? Is it not frustrating? Um, you know, well, it's funny you say that. I actually have it, it's it's so split down the line. There's a lot of especially in the so we live in Rockland County, and Rockland County. If anybody who knows Rockland County is right outside the city, so you have this very diverse group of people there that are pro-gun and very diverse that are anti-gun. So there's a huge clash there. And one of the things, and we have, we have one of the largest Jewish populations probably in the United States. Um, so one of the things I tell them is I remind them of World War II, because nobody remembers World War II. And I, and I tell them exactly what Hitler did with enacting a gun registration, which is the first, you know, the first step into confiscation. Uh, and then it, right, right after the war started, the confiscation that ensued, and all the rabbis were like, oh, don't worry, God will take care of you. Which, of course, didn't happen, and yep. they were pushed into ghettos, uh, and then they were slaughtered in mass numbers. Yep. And the reason that happened is because the ability to defend themselves against this tyrannical government was taken away, and they let it happen. They sat by idly and let it happen. And because of that, six million Jews were slaughtered. And six million other and undesirables. And I was, was going to say 100%. Yep. And six million other million people were slaughtered. to the slaughter. And, and, and they allowed it to happen because they didn't believe in the self-preservation. Correct. That they should believe. the whole Everything could be taken away from you, but your right for self-preservation is your right and your right alone. In fact, if in, in constitutional law, there have been multiple cases that have been ruled in the, in, in the Supreme Court 
that it is not a police officer's job yep. to defend your right. life. They are Correct. not there to save you. Warren they are not there to defend your life. Your that is your job and your job alone. And since it is right. my job to defend myself, by you making it much harder for me to mm. do that, obviously is impeding on my rights. Uh, my rights to defend myself Correct. and preservation of life. Paul, what did you have to say? I was just going to tie into what you were saying earlier when you were talking about uh, members of the Jewish faith being persecuted by the Nazis in mass quantities. There are great historical um, cases of them sneaking weapons into their ghettos. Oh, yeah. and the Poles are very good at this, too. In Warsaw, they created a network of resistance and yep. a network that, mm -hmm. you know, while they snuck in these weapons that were illegal to have at the time, and they fought back against the Nazis yep. and successfully held them up for weeks, months yep. on end, uh, you know, defending themselves, yeah. you know, by something they weren't supposed to have, but shows the necessary, you know, need to be able to defend yourself. Yeah. And the strategy that Steve is using, because bottom mm. up will always win over top down. Correct. Agreed. That's why. That's one of the main reasons that Steve was so. It was just listening to him speak. As you can hear, you can hear him speak. It's very elegant. Correct. Uh, it's, it's beautiful, and it just it's it, you get you get you sink into it. You know, you become a part of what he's talking about because it makes so much sense, and it really reflects to what we're trying to do on a local level. And if we can do this on a local level, exponentially, it will just grow and grow and grow. And that's what we're looking to do. And the truth is, is that. We want to bring everybody together. This is not a single. We can't fight this battle on our own. This nope. is not. This is not going to be won by us, you know, suing a couple of judges in in the county. This is going to be won by people waking up, and this is where the educational part comes in for me, realizing what your rights are, because people don't understand what it means to have the freedom of speech, to have the Second Amendment rights. They don't understand what what the history behind that is, how important that is, why we initially fought for that in the beginning, why our, our forefathers put that in as an amendment, as a constitutional right that can never be stripped from you. And people don't understand that. And it, 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 that's what infuriates me, is the lack of education and understanding. And, and some people, listen, some people I know, they're not, they don't care. They're, there's the, 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 you know, I call it the 10-10-80 the rule. You know, there's going to be 10% of people that don't care what you have to say. You're wrong, no matter what. There's going to be 10% of people that, that you're right, 100%. They'll, they'll, the dying day, they'll agree with you. But there's that 80% out there that just needs to be educated to understand mm -hmm. how the process works, what it means for you to have those individual freedoms, what it means, you know, listen, uh, uh, when, when seconds count, police are minutes away. Colonel Jeff Cooper said uh, that. Yep. His granddaughter was here last week, by the way. Oh, Cooper's wow. granddaughter oh. shoots here. She lives in Westfield. So think about this. Everybody in this room, our ancestors came here, first, second, third generation, whatever, to enter the greatest experiment in the world. Yet in our country, it's turning towards socialism, where the majority of people fled tyrannical governments <laughs> right, and socialism yeah. and we're right. creating tyrannical governments and socialism here as, San as Sandy would say one thin slice of bologna at a time right. you know the bologna was uh, Paul the bologna was 12 inches long now it's about 9 inches of the bologna is the government has and us we the people have about 3 inches left mm -hmm. you know I've said it all the time politicians are anti-gun and they're protected by taxpayer funded armed security yep. details correct and, you know, you say, Paul, how they don't represent us, and Steve, they don't represent us. I think they should all wear NASCAR-style jackets with their sponsors on it. Pfizer, yeah. ConAgra, yep. Monsanto. No American flag, though, because it's all about self-preservation. So, Steve, how much does it cost to join uh, your organization? Sure. 2ANYS. Yeah, you can join if you're interested at uh, 2ANYS. So it's uh, numeral 2, A like Alpha, NYS, like NewYorkState.com. 
Um, and uh, we do monthly memberships for $8 per month wow. or, or 60 for a year. $8 a month. I'd have to stop one less cigar. Right. It's amazing. I, I don't know if you can handle that. Right. One $8 less burger. One month. less burger. Yeah. No, that's not happening. Uh, so what else can people do? Obviously, they can join. They can go online. They can share and replicate the stuff. Yes. Social media is strong today. So you can go on and you can go on to their uh, social media sites. What social media sites do you have? Please share with the audience. So we, we uh, have a Facebook page currently, and we'll be you know expanding that out to our other chapters as well to have their own individual pages. Um, so that's just 2ANYS is the name of the Facebook page. So you, you, can, you can check out what we have going on there. But in terms of how people can best help, I mean, we, we view Second Amendment civil rights advocacy through our model. It's, it's a full-contact sport. It involves everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've spoken at a, a couple of different Second Amendment sanctuary ordinance uh, public meetings over the past month or so, and the audiences are growing to two, three, four hundred people, maxing it out. I mean, I think Good. you guys are, are seeing this in New Jersey, yes. a lot of interest, and we're seeing the same in New York State. People do ask me that question. How do we win? How do we start winning? Numbers. Well, yeah, exactly. And, Numbers. And, and it involves, you know, taking the unconventional approach I talked about, which means, in, in essence, decentralized command. You know, exporting the skill set that, that I have and that Eric has and, and what's worked in western New York and what's going to work in Rockland and training up all the other chapters to do the same thing and basically have their own organizations. Because what we're trying to avoid, we're trying to learn learn the learn lessons from the pitfalls that the NRA has experienced in New York State, where they're they're a large nonprofit organization, they have a board of directors, um, and unfortunately for them, the state has weaponized nonprofit regulations against them. Yep. And when that happens, it jams up the ability of the organization to operate at all levels. So we'd like to avoid that by being a for-profit organization organized in that way, but 62 different for-profit organizations. So if you take one of us yeah, down, right. it doesn't matter. The other 62 legs on a stool. The other yeah. 61 yeah. are going to operate just fine. Right. So I- in essence, if anyone has any any familiarity with with how you know special operations forces components of the military operate, mm-hmm. especially Green Berets, they drop into an area and they train up indigenous people on how to do what they do, how to fight like they fight. How you know they tr- they teach them the most effective uh, means of winning a conflict, and that's what we intend to do county by county. Is train up everyday Phenomenal. people how to engage the media. How do you write a press release? How do you hold a press event? Um, how do you how do you leverage our online presence because we have many hotlines and forums available to report to us when confiscations happen, when red flag uh, orders occur, um, you know, when when there's some type of violation of someone's rights through the pistol permitting system. We have to know about all these things to be able to track them, to be able to uncover the malfeasance, and be able to reverse these unconstitutional laws. So, so basically, what can everybody do? It's it's get involved, help us build chapters, and be open to be open to the message, and be willing to go outside your comfort zone and learn about the critical skills uh, that will be necessary to win this fight, and then deploy them. Yeah, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid right. to come up. No, you don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take a stand. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to get your faith. Listen, I have a business I have to worry about in Rockland County. Uh, you know, I, I know that I'm going to probably see some bad. I'm going to call all these judges out. I could care less. I'm just tired of being told what I can and cannot do because it suits your need. <coughs> I've and had you that target act like on my, my back for years. Yeah. Welcome to the family. Yeah, I'm, I'm welping, I, well, well, welcoming it with open arms. Uh, I, you know, not that I want it. Uh, I don't. I don't think I should have to ask permission to to ex- you know exercise my rights and freedoms, but. Uh, we're going to fight for him no matter what. I, I love what you guys are doing. So let's let's review here. What's the name of your gun shop? Precision Gunsmith, LLC. Where is it? Rockland County, New York, Valley Cottage. Steve, you're up. 
Pitch. We are 2ANYS at uh, numeral 2A like alpha NYS.com. And uh, we are accepting new members. And just for, for those in the Rockland area, we will be having a press conference coming up on Feb- uh, February 18th, if that is before this this actually gets broadcast. I'm not sure if it will or won't be. Probably not. But um, we're, we're going to be, in essence, uh, announcing our pistol permitting lawsuit in front of the Rockland County Courthouse. So you can check that out online if you can't make it Today's out. Today's the 16th, so the 18th is fine. Paul, how can we find you? Well, you'll find us online at jerseygrays.org, gray with an E. Uh, you'll also find us on Facebook. Make sure, stop by, check it out, see what you you know can do and help us out here. Uh, getting ready for the 250th anniversary of the yeah. United States. So we have the the 2AMYS and we have the Jersey Grays. Everybody listening, go on their social media, go on their pages, share it with all your friends and family. People in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, listen to Steve's playbook here. Yes. We can steal it and yes. replicate it. And also, everybody that has friends or family in New York, the 62 counties, share it with them everywhere so that they can get involved too. Let's blow up his phone and his email and his internet this week because unity and activism is key. They know that. We know the left, they defend pedophiles, okay, <laughs> for their cause. And we on the right, we tend to not do that. We tend to be individuals. So please, push it. Some housekeeping here. I'm going to be speaking March 6th in Atlantic City at the New Jersey GOP convention. It's the first time in New Jersey GOP history they're having a Second Amendment panel. First time wow. ever, okay? And March 26th, I will be uh, speaking at the Montclair Country Club for the uh, New Jersey Republican Women's Association. It's like 500 people going to be there. I got a big mouth. I cannot <laughs> thank you guys enough for being on the show and giving us a, a window into our past and a window into our future and your combat style over here, Steve, Eric, Paul. What's the guy in the corner's name? Jason. Jason. Jason, thank you for being my gun wrangler and watching the door. I'm done. And listen, guys, uh, I'm appealing now to the leaders of the 2A community. Listen to Steve's playbook because this is a marketing war. You've been trying to fight this fight through legislation and through lawyers, and it ain't going to work because that's not how they're fighting. Well, you've done it again. You've listened to... You've wasted another perfectly good hour <laughs> listening to Gun for High Radio. Gun for High Radio is a kind of media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music New York, New York. On behalf of our show host, Master Trainer Anthony Calandro, and the rest of the crew here at Gun for High Radio, we do thank you for so listening. We love you guys. See you next week. Do it. To go shine.